Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Counterculture, a study of the Sermon on the Mount. Here's Pastor Nick. On the floor, they're sitting on cushions, according to the custom of that culture, around a low table around which they were going to eat their meal, with their stinky feet dangling way too close to the food that they were about to eat. Now, why were their feet dirty? Well, well, because it was the job of a servant to wash people's feet when they entered a house. But you see, the disciples of Jesus, they frequently argued and debated over which of them was the greatest. And the last thing that any of them wanted was to take on that role of servants. So what does Jesus do? Now you can imagine that as Jesus walks into this scene, what's he feeling? Well, he's probably feeling disgusted. He's disgusted by the smell. He's disturbed by the scene that after three years of walking with these guys every single day, daily discipleship, teaching them his heart for three years, they still don't get it. And none of them are willing to serve each other. So what does Jesus do? Recognizing their stink recognizing their uncleanness, recognizing their lack of spirituality. We read there in John 13 that Jesus silently girded himself with a towel and he began to wash their feet himself. You see, don't you see in that the perfect balance there in Jesus? He judged that their feet were smelly and dirty and filthy, that they weren't acting according to his heart. He discerned that, but rather than putting them down, Jesus knelt down himself and washed their feet, right? That's the perfect balance in him. This is to be our family dynamic right there, what we see in Jesus. Read verse two with me, if you would. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Our judgment of people is is wrong when uh, we hold other people to a different standard than we hold ourselves to. That's what it means to be hypocritical, by the way. It means that you hold yourself to one standard and you hold other people to a different standard. You know, our human tendency is to be far more generous to ourselves than we are to other people. And that's why Jesus says, he says, with the measure you use, it will be used with you. And that should be a powerful motivation for us to be generous with the amount of love and forgiveness and grace and kindness that we show to other people. I like to think of it like an ice cream scoop. There are different sizes of ice cream scoops. You've got those little teaspoons, right? The, like the little ones you use for, uh, you know, even for your kids for the, the little tea sets. And, and then you've got bigger scoops, of course. And when it comes to God, we want him to use the big scoop with us. But in our dealings with other people, our tendency is to get out the little spoon. And here, here's your, here's your spoonful. There you go. Enjoy. But when it comes to God, we want him to use the big scoop. We want him to use a shovel, right? We want him to just get in there and just pile it on. But God says, okay, look, here's how it's going to work. I'll let you choose the scoop, and then I'll use the same one that you use. The same one that you use with other people, I'll use that same one with you. In other words, if you want God to use the big scoop with you, well, then that means that you need to be using the big scoop with other people when it comes to love and grace and forgiveness and kindness. Read with me, please, from verse 3. 
Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So here's this guy. He's got a little speck of sawdust in his eye, and there's this other guy. He's got a board sticking out of his eye, and the guy with the board sticking out of his eye walks up to the other guy, and he says, uh, hey, uh, you got something there in your eye. You want me to, want me to give you a hand with that? It's just a, it's a ridiculous scene that Jesus is painting here. It's, it's, it's funny, even, this illustration that Jesus is talking about, about how we tend to be so much more gracious and understanding when it comes to ourselves than we are with other people. We fuss about the small things in other people's lives. We can pick out the speck. We can see it really clearly, and we know how to fix it. But yet we don't deal with the glaring issues in our own lives so often. And like the guy with the plank in his eye, here's the irony, right? The guy walking around with the plank in his eye, do you think anybody else notices that he's got a plank in his eye? Of course, everybody sees it. He's the only person who seems to have made himself blind to the fact that he has a log sticking out of his own eye, right? And that's how it is. The things that you try to ignore in your own life, the things that you can ignore in your own life, other people notice them immediately. That's something to take note of. Jesus says, listen, if you've got a huge glaring issue in your own life, you really need to deal with that before you start nitpicking at other people. Now remember again the big theme of this section. Jesus is laying out the culture of his kingdom. These are the family dynamics of this new family, this family of disciples of Jesus. And this is how the disciples of Jesus, meaning us as well, how are we are to relate to our brothers and sisters. We're not to put each other down to make ourselves look better or feel better. We are to be as gracious with each other as God has been gracious with us. And we are not to be hypocritical, holding ourselves to a lower standard than we hold everybody else to. Verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. After warning us against being judgmental and hypocritical, after encouraging us to show massive amounts of grace to other people, Jesus now gives us a very important counterpoint because he wants us to be balanced in our thinking, in our behavior, in our attitude. So here's the counterpoint. He says, look, I want you to be gracious to people. I want you to love people. I don't want you to be judgmental. But here's the facts. Some people are dogs. That's the fact. Now, dogs in that society, they didn't view them the way people view dogs here in Boulder County. In Boulder County, dogs are like kids. You dress them up, you buy... I was in Aspen once, and I saw a hat for a dog. A leather hat cost $300. Dogs in that society were viewed very differently than we view dogs in our society, right? They didn't view dogs as fuzzy pets or even man's best friend. Dogs were rabid, mangy, dangerous animals that ran in packs and attacked your children. They like picked off the little ones. If you've been to third world countries, uh, you've probably seen this. A lot of times in third world countries, they have problems with street dogs. And they're dangerous. And they really are. I mean, uh, we experience it many times. You're walking home and, and you can't walk down your own street because there's a pack of street dogs there. That's the sense in which Jesus is talking about dogs. And he says there are people out there who are like dogs. They're like that. They're bad dudes, basically. And he says, and you know what? There are some people out there who are like pigs. 
So when we lived in Hungary, you know, like everybody kept pigs. They would, you know, eat, a, they have one pig that would be like their food for a year, right, for a family. And so we saw a lot of pigs, and you learn about pigs that they're very dangerous animals, actually. You do not want to get in a pen with a pig. Pigs bite, and they'll mess you up. They're very dangerous. Not to mention they're dirty. And for Jews, right, pigs are the epitome of what it means to be unclean. So what's Jesus saying here? He's saying, look, I want you to love people. I want you to be super gracious to people. I don't want you to be judgmental. I want you to love people even if you don't approve of the things that they're doing. But I don't want you to be naive about people either. This is so important to have this balance because there are some bad guys out there. And and while you're being gracious and wanting to not be judgmental and you're wanting to love all people, you also need to have discernment. You need to have discernment to discern if a person is someone who's going to hurt you and destroy that which is precious to you. Before you invite the homeless guy to move into your house with your kids, you might need to think about these kind of things. You want to be gracious. You want to be helpful. You want to be loving. But yet, You also want to have discernment. So this is a very great counterpoint he's making here, that loving people doesn't require you to throw discernment out the window. We should seek to be merciful. We should seek to be forgiving. We should seek to be slow to judge. But on the other hand, we also seek to discern the true character of people as much as we can by examining their lives. Now, of course, we can't know their heart, and we can't know really what's going on. God knows that. But as much as we can, we do still examine people's lives based on their actions not for the purpose of judging them or to have a sense of superiority over them, but in order to identify where they're at. You know, are they truly receptive to the gospel? Are they being transformed by God? Or or maybe do they even pose a danger? So loving, not being judgmental, it doesn't mean throwing discernment out the window. Okay, so now after talking about the family dynamics between brothers and sisters, now Jesus turns to how we as children of God should relate to our heavenly Father. That's the second dynamic here, the Father, from verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask of him? You've been listening to a message by Pastor Nick Cady of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We'll get back to the remainder of this message in a moment. We are open for in-person worship on Sunday mornings with services at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. Come grow with us on Sunday mornings, online or in person at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. Now, back to Pastor Nick with the remainder of today's message. So he's saying here, how should we, as those who have become children of God, how should we relate to our Heavenly Father? Well, we should ask, we should seek, we should knock, we should know that we have a Father who absolutely loves us and He will withhold from us no good thing. In Psalm 84, verse 11, it says this, The Lord is our sun and our shield. He gives us grace and glory. And no good thing, no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Now, I find that interesting because Jesus says the same thing here, that he won't withhold any good thing from his children. It says here, Jesus is saying, God, like a good father, 
He's not going to withhold good things from his children. If they ask for something good, he delights to give it to them. No good thing will he withhold from us, his kids. Now, does God withhold some things from us? Absolutely he does, yeah. You know, there are things which God forbids. He says, this is forbidden. Is he withholding that from us? Yes. Or sometimes do we ask for things and God says, no. Sometimes, sometimes you beg God for something, convinced that you need that thing. And you say, God, if you never give me anything else ever, ever again, just give me this one thing, please. And yet, he doesn't give it to you. What are you supposed to do with that, right? Like, how are you supposed to deal with that kind of situation? Well, here's how. By understanding that your God is a loving father. And he knows everything. He sees the whole picture. He knows the future. And he loves you completely. And he will withhold no good thing from you. And so it leads you to this conclusion that if God would withhold something from me, if he is withholding something from me, if he does say no to my request, you, you have to make this conclusion that, well, then he must have known in his perfect knowledge that that thing would ultimately not have been good for me right now. But sometimes God wants you to be persistent. And so there's another important balance here, right? Between saying, God, I trust you. I'm going to ask. I'm going to seek. I'm going to knock. But I'm going to trust you that you will withhold no good thing from me. So if you do withhold something from me, I trust that you saw it as not good for me. But then here's the other side of that. God wants you to be persistent. Do you see the progression there? Asking, seeking, knocking. I have kids and my kids love cookies. And so here's how they get cookies. They start out by asking, hey, can I have a cookie? And then when I ignore them, you know what they do is they they take it to the next level. And they say, well, fine, if you're not going to give us a cookie, we're going to go find some cookies, right? And so they start seeking out the cookies. And then I find my kids in the pantry pulling stuff off the shelves. They're on top of the counter digging through the cabinets. They're in the garage pulling stuff out. They're under the bed looking for cookies. They're ripping up the carpet to find out if we stash them under there. They're searching. They're pursuing. They're very persistent at going after those cookies. And if that doesn't work, you know what they do? They start knocking. They'll go to the neighbor's house and they'll knock on his door. Hey, you got any cookies? Or they'll knock on your bathroom door. You ever have them do that? Hey, come on out. I need some cookies. They'll knock on your bedroom door in the middle of the night. That's how bad they want those cookies. Don't you see? That's the kind of persistence that God is encouraging us towards here. He wants us to be passionately pursuing things. He's not playing hard to get. Do you realize that? He's not playing hard to get. He wants you to be passionate and to pursue things. And not just give up if things don't immediately work out. This picture of knocking, you know what it it implies? It implies a closed door, doesn't it? I mean, you're not going to knock on an open door. So there's a closed door, and you're knocking on the closed door because you want the closed door to open. So Sometimes, you know, people's attitudes about things are, hey, this door just seems to be closed. All right, I guess I'll just give up. Time to move on. Door's closed. But Jesus is telling us, hey... When it comes to closed doors, hey, don't just give up right away, man. Try knocking on that door. Try pounding on that door. Try kicking that door. See if God will open it for you. Maybe God's closed that door for a reason. Or maybe he wants you to keep knocking, keep pushing, keep seeking, and keep asking. Why does God do this to us? If God can do anything, and he can do it whenever he wants, it's not even hard for him, then why does he make us go through this song and dance of knocking and asking and seeking. You really want to know why? 
I believe it's because he delights in the dance. He does. He delights in the dance. He delights in the song. And we don't always love it. We tend to stress out over it. We sweat over it. We get anxious and worried. We lose sleep over it. But God delights in the fact that you're continuously seeking him. In that situation, you keep coming to him. And you are completely dependent on him. And it keeps you on your knees seeking him. You know, there's so many of us who we only seek God when we absolutely need something. And so our loving Heavenly Father says, if that's what it takes to keep you close to me, well, then I guess it's worth it. But know this, no good thing, no good thing, according to his definition of what is good for you, based on his perfect knowledge, no good thing will he withhold from you. And here's the proof of it. Paul turns us to the gospel in Romans 8.32. And in light of the gospel, Paul says this, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Paul brings us back to the gospel to remind us of why we can be absolutely confident and certain that God will give us every good thing because God did not withhold from us his greatest, his son, his very best, the supreme thing of all the universe, even though it came to him at such a high cost, even though it caused him pain to do so, he did not withhold him from us. And therefore, we can be confident. Because everything else is less than that. Do you see that? Everything else is smaller than that. If he did that, of course he'll do this. Of course he will give you every good thing that you need, that you ask for. So when it comes to our asking and seeking and knocking, if God still says no, then we can rest and we must rest in that knowledge that our loving Heavenly Father has, hasn't given us something because he knew that it would not be the best for us ultimately or at least at this time. And we're going to finish with verse 12. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This is known as the golden rule. You've probably heard it before. So again, these are the dynamics these are the family dynamics of God's kingdom, the Christian counterculture. You know, it's not an individual value system. We live in a society that so much thinks that individuality is really the greatest virtue. The Christian counterculture, though, says, no, this culture, it's not an individual value system. It's not an individual lifestyle. It is a community affair, and it involves relationships. The Christian community is essentially a family. That's what God has done for us through the gospel. He has made us family. And the two strongest elements in this family structure are God as our father and our fellow Christians as brothers and sisters. But yet there's one other important relationship, and that's this one. That's our relationship with those outside of this family who we long to see brought into this family. So when it comes to how we relate to people in general, if we follow this one rule, we'll basically be on the right track most of the time. However you wish that people would treat you, that's how you should treat them. Now, why does that keep us on the right track? Because we absolutely love ourselves. And so if we love ourselves and we treat other people the way that we like to be treated, well, then we'll be treating them pretty good. If you were to follow that rule, think about how it would affect your actions. You would be extremely generous to people, wouldn't you? Because you love it when people are generous towards you. You would be extremely gracious towards people because, you know, you're very understanding towards yourself. And you'd be incredibly thoughtful because you always remember the things that are important to you. So how do you wish that other people would treat you? That's how you should treat them. And so here in, the, in these first 12 verses of Matthew 7, Jesus has introduced us to these basic relationships. 
brothers, father, others. And at the very center of those, by the way, is our relationship with our heavenly father. This is the family dynamic that Jesus wants his disciples to have. On the one hand, it calls us to be incredibly humble, doesn't it? On the one hand, it calls us to this radical humility because it calls us to acknowledge the fact of who we really are before God, that we're really no better than anybody else, and therefore we have no right to judge anybody else because we ourselves deserve God's judgment. So on the one hand, it calls us to be extremely humble, but on the other hand, it calls us to be incredibly confident. So confident, in fact, that we don't need to tear down others to give ourselves an identity. We don't need to bring others low to make ourselves look better. The reason most people criticize others and tear others down is because it makes them feel better about themselves. Now, Jesus is calling us to be so confident in who we are that we're able to deal with the issues in our own lives rather than focusing on what's wrong with other people. That requires a ton of confidence. It's a confidence which enables us to discern between good and bad and right and wrong and yet still love people and not be threatened by them or hate them. It requires incredible confidence because it calls us to trust that our Heavenly Father loves us and He will always give us what is absolutely best for us even when it doesn't turn out the way that we kind of planned it would for ourselves. And let me tell you what, this incredible humility and this incredible confidence There's only one way to get both of those things at the same time, and that is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know that? Because the message of the gospel is this, that you are more sinful and flawed than you even dare to believe, but yet you are more loved by God than you even dare to hope. And when you understand that, when you understand both sides of the gospel, that you are so bad, that you're so broken, that God had to die for you. It was the only way that you could be saved. But yet you are so loved by God that he was glad to die for you. When you understand that, the effect it has on you, it makes you incredibly humble. It brings you low because you recognize who you are before him. And at the same time, it brings you so high because you can be so confident in him because of who he has made you in Christ and how much he loves you, how much love and acceptance there is for you in him. Incredibly humble because you realize you have no basis for judging anyone else. You yourself deserve to be judged, but incredibly humble because you realize that you're no better than anybody else. You have flaws. There's no reason for you to think you're better than anybody else. Incredibly humble because you've received grace that you didn't deserve. And at the same time, incredibly confident. Because the God of the universe chose you. He loves you. He died for you. He left the comfort and the glory of heaven for you. Incredibly confident because you are fully loved and fully accepted by God. Therefore, you can be comfortable in your own skin. You don't have to try to prove yourself. Incredibly confident about your future because you have a loving heavenly father who has done everything to make you his own and he has proven that there is nothing good that he will ever withhold from you. What the Sermon on the Mount sets out for us is two different kinds of life. There's life lived the common way and there's life lived the gospel way. The common way, that's a well-worn path. We see where that goes. We've, we've had... Generation after generation walk down that path. But the gospel way is different, isn't it? It's countercultural. But this is the way of true life. This is the way of true joy and happiness, both now and forever. 
Nothing else can make you so humble and yet so confident. Nothing else can give you this kind of love than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you really take hold of it, it affects all your relationships. Those with your brothers and sisters, those with your Father in heaven, and those with others. Amen? Lord, we thank you for the great gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, how the gospel transforms all of our relationships. It transforms how we relate to each other. It transforms how we see ourselves. It transforms how we relate to you and everybody out there in the whole world. Lord, would you help us that we would treat others the way that we want to be treated? Lord, thank you that that is what you did for us. You treated us better than we deserved. You treated us the way that you would want to be treated. You, you gave yourself for us. Lord, may we give ourselves for you. We want to live out this gospel life that you describe here in the Sermon on the Mount. So Lord, would you enable us to do that by your spirit as we go from this place? And Lord, would you bless all the moms who are here today? And Lord, we pray for those who desire to be moms. Lord, would you give them their, the desire of their hearts? And we pray that you'd bless this Mother's Day for all the families in our church. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have three in-person services on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And our 9.30 and 11 services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com. 